we read together to remind us of where we are going. That is towards Jesus, allowing the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the family of God to form a fidelity of allegiance to him alone. Please read aloud with me as we confess this together. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, global, and apostolic church. We believe in the forgiveness of sins proclaimed in water baptism. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. My name is Matthew. If we haven't met yet, one of the pastors here. If you would, open the scriptures to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, we're going to get there in a minute. If you want to follow along digitally, there's a QR code on the screen. You can snap a photo of that with your camera app, and it will take you to a spot where you can follow along with us. While you're getting to Matthew 4, uh, here at Faith Church, our mission is pretty straightforward. Uh, we want to bring faith to life, helping you and others take their next steps to belong to the family, become disciples, and build God's kingdom. And we want to help you take your next steps in that way. So uh, when we talk about belonging to the family, that's why we do things like Growth Track, which are designed to help you engage and connect into the family here at Faith Church. So if you haven't uh, signed up or gone through Growth Track, um, now's your time. It's a great, great time to do it. We want to help you become a disciple. And uh, that's why we do things like the Fresh Start Pathway, where you can, um, at your own pace or with someone else, walk through 52 curated topics and lessons to help grow a strong foundation in your, in your faith. And periodically, we throw out other challenges to help you personally grow um, as you pursue Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to encourage you to take the next few weeks, uh, those of you, to, to begin a habit, if you're not already in one, of reading God's Word on a daily basis. And we have a reading plan that we put together a couple summers ago going through the Gospels, and we've kind of re-updated it and put them on these kind of big bookmarks. You can grab these in printed form, or you can go to the Central Hub and find them. And this reading plan is 13 weeks long. And it'll take you through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in somewhat of a chronological order, so you kind of get a chronological view. There's a lot of repeated things that you see because the Gospels repeat or, or carry the same parable or different things. And so this is a great, great thing. In fact, I want to challenge you as we are in this collection of messages entitled The King Jesus Gospel, and we're slowly making our way through the Gospel of Matthew, which has 28 chapters in it. Uh, this reading plan, 13 weeks, you probably could go through it twice during the course of this collection, and I highly recommend that you do that if you're not already following another reading plan. Whether you read it your own or have it audibly read to you, let's get in God's Word over these next few weeks and really understand what the gospel is saying. Why? Because we said in, in the very beginning of this collection, if we don't start with the gospel that Jesus preached... We may end up with a gospel that Jesus did not preach. And uh, so I want to encourage you to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jump in, get started with it, and uh, help you grow in your faith. Matthew chapter 4, are you there? Here we go, Matthew 4, 
Starting in verse 1, we're going to read the first 11 verses. I'll read out loud. You can follow there at your seat or on the screen. This is what it says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very Hungry. That's probably the understatement of like the year, really. 40 days, no food, and he was hungry. How about that? During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, why don't you tell these stones to become loaves of bread? But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if, if you are the son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up so that you're uh, in their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, yeah, the scripture also says you must not test the Lord your God. Notice Jesus didn't say Satan. That's not what the Bible says. He was quoting it correctly. The enemy of your soul knows the Bible. Does he know it better than you? Jesus said, the scripture also says, you must not, you must not test the Lord. Some of you are like, that's a little intense for a rainy day, Pastor. I ain't had enough coffee for that kind of confrontation yet. I hear you. Verse 8, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's, let's pray one more time. Father, thank you that you are speaking to us. Help us have ears to hear. Help our eyes be open to see Jesus clearly and the way that he wants us to walk in. And may our heart be ready to receive what you want to say. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Um, in high school, I played a little basketball, and so that meant post-high school, as I wanted to continue to stay young and think I was cool, I played pickup basketball. And uh, the older I got, the less pickup basketball I played. But one thing is true uh, about your pastor. Um, I hate losing. Uh, like, not a fan at all. And uh, when I would play pickup basketball, every once in a while, I would lose. And shortly after talking trash, I would quickly say, run it back, run it back. In other words, uh-uh, I ain't going out, I ain't quitting today, I ain't changing teams, I'm going to whoop somebody. And the problem with saying run it back is then you had to either A, back up what you were saying, or B, change your strategy to finally win. I don't know about you, but I really don't like losing. I don't like the feeling of feeling defeated. I don't like the feeling that where you just feel completely like deflated and helpless. That is not a fun 
fun feeling. I have a feeling, though, that, that many of us walk through our lives feeling more defeated than maybe anything else. We feel that there are things that we face in life, and we're like, man, I, I, thought, I, I thought I could win it this time. And if we don't change our strategy, when those same circumstances and opportunities come our way, we are probably going to repeat and see the same thing again. But the good thing is, is anything that we face and we don't feel like we succeed, God gives us an opportunity to run it back. The question is, in running it back, will we adjust our approach to that thing, to that season, to that circumstance, to that type of relationship that keeps showing up in your life again and again and again and again? Because if you don't learn how to deal with that type of personality today, you will have an opportunity to do it again tomorrow in the next season. It's just how it seems to work in our life. And God wants you to run it back, but he wants you to change your strategy. You know, I heard, heard the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again, expecting different results. That's insane. To do the same thing again and again and again, and somehow hoping, praying that the results are different, but they won't be. We have to adjust what we're doing. And I think that sometimes it's little things, you know, like, like maybe, um, maybe you didn't quite get picked for the athletic team that you wanted and you feel a little disappointed and disheartened. Maybe it was you worked really hard to get an A plus on a test, but you only got an A minus and you feel a little bit like, ah, but y'all is still an A, right? And some of you are like, I would have paid money for an A. Really, you... Sometimes it's, it's things that, that feel really um, detrimental to us, like, man, you, you put yourself out there, and they said, no thanks, I don't want to go on the date. Some of you, you applied for a promotion, and someone who had been in the company less, who was less qualified, who didn't know as much as you, who didn't have the same experience, but they got the promotion, and you didn't, and you feel a little disappointed and disheartened. But then there are other things where it's much more seemingly devastating, where you experience moments of a diagnosis that didn't go the way that you wanted it to. Or maybe you lost the child that you thought was a promise from God. And the miscarriage was absolutely devastating for you. We experience it on all sorts of spectrums in our life. The question is, when we walk through those seasons, do we have anything that helps us have hope? I believe the scriptures would say yes. I believe that the King Jesus gospel would whisper some hope to us. I, I think that the, the, this epic match between Satan and Jesus in the wilderness shares with us some things that we can extrapolate some hope and move forward and perhaps when we run it back on the temptation that comes our way, when we run it back and face the situation again, we have some more wisdom from God's word that we can apply to our life and we can adjust the zone defense and the attack offense when we're facing the enemy so that we can run it back and win this time. In fact, here's, here's the big idea I want us to see today in Matthew chapter 4. It's this that I think scripture is revealing that Jesus wins where Adam and others had previously lost. This is not the first time in the narrative and the story of Scripture 
where we see the enemy in some form coming and tempting the people of God to do something that would cause them to break fellowship and communion and transgress what God had commanded. This is not the first time. In fact, what you see here is that Jesus was able to overcome some things that the enemy threw his way where everyone else in Scripture up to this point had failed. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden with me for me uh, in, for just a minute. Those of you that are familiar with the story of Scripture, the very, one of the very earliest stories of the Bible where we see things about God is, is in this garden, Adam and Eve are presented with an opportunity, a temptation to grab something and to find something on their own terms, and they did not pass that test. They failed. And the people of God had to run it back and experience the same thing again and again and again. And most often they failed, but Jesus didn't. In fact, I would maybe present it this way, that what Jesus was experiencing in the wilderness was a reversal and a redemption of what happened in the garden. Think about it. Adam means, the word Adam in the original language just simply means human. So think of humanity in this sense. So, so in the garden, you had humanity in one space and the enemy of our souls in another, the, the slithering, lying serpent. In one uh, match, it was in a garden. In the match Jesus had with the enemy, it was in the wilderness, which is appropriate because that's biblical understanding for living outside of the garden. Where did they go after they failed in the garden? They were sent to live outside the garden or in the wilderness. In the garden, you see a distrust for God's word. And here in the wilderness, Jesus displays obedience to God's word. Instead of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Jesus is fasting and he's feeding on the spirit for power to defeat the devil's ploy. It's a different approach to the enemy's tactics. The devil starts in on Jesus the same way he did on Eve, planting doubts in the mind about the identity and being the object of God's love. Oh, if you're really the son of God, so, so you think you're the son of God? Why don't you do this instead? In the story, it literally right before this, in Matthew chapter 3, we read it last week in our main text. Jesus had this amazing encounter in the waters of baptism and heaven opened up and a voice came down booming. This is my son in him. I am well pleased. There was an identity that was being formed based on the voice of the father that Jesus was walking into the wilderness with and the enemy was trying to combat that very thing. He was coming for his identity as the object of God's love. He was trying to remove it. Don't you realize that the thing that God loved the most about what he created in the garden was man and woman, was Adam and Eve, was the relationship with humanity? If, if you are my son in whom I love, well, then this idea of, well, if you're really the son of God, it's just Satan's remix. It's the snake's remix of, did God really say? See, the devil's threefold temptation to Jesus is very subtle clever and manipulative and it has less to do with getting jesus to commit a special sin that, that we would think of in terms of regular sin right like there's nothing inherently biblically wrong with like 
eating bread. There's nothing inherently wrong with about asking God to protect you. It's scripture that he will send angels to protect you. He does want a garden, right? So, So it wasn't so much about getting him to transgress some like big sin that we think of. No, no, it was much more subtle than that. Instead, the enemy was playing to the undercurrent of desire in Jesus's heart and the mission that he was sent to accomplish. The the idea that Satan was coming at Jesus was to do things going after the right thing, but in the wrong way. It, It was playing at his desire to take the kingdom by an easier way, to accomplish the the bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth by doing it in a shortcut, in an easier way to to type in a cheat code and beat the level. This was what the enemy was after in his life. The enemy was, was trying to get him to live in a way to where he was not dependent on the word of God, the life of the spirit, and instead took matters into his own hands to try and enact the accomplishment and the mission that God was leading him into. Friends, one of the things that we see in this understanding is not that Jesus won where Adam lost, but we see something really important, that Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus was led by the Spirit, but he was still tempted by the devil. Jesus was led by the Spirit, but he was still tempted by the devil. And we will experience the same kinds of things. Think about it. We're called to be led by the same spirit. Paul says to walk in the spirit and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The, The emphasis and the need is for the spirit. Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you the spirit to walk with you. You're you're gonna not be on your own in this season. I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit. He's gonna lead you. He's gonna guide you. He's gonna comfort you. He's gonna give you truth. And you can walk in his power and in his spirit. And Jesus was walking in the same spirit. He was being led by the spirit, but he was still tempted. And it doesn't matter how spiritually elite you feel like you are. The enemy's still going to come for you. He's still going to come for me. Now, I I want you to think about this. When you read this text and it says that, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. At first glance, you think Jesus was being led by the Spirit to be tempted. Who is doing the tempting? The enemy. Who was doing the leading? The Holy Spirit. Don't get it confused. In fact, in the original language, it perhaps is better to to read and understand it perhaps like this. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was then being put to the test by the devil. Where he was being tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit will lead you into places and sometimes it'll still feel like the wilderness. There is a long-standing tradition for the people of God according to scripture of having to walk through the wilderness. Moses and Elijah both fasted and prayed for 40 days. Don't miss this. In the same wilderness. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Friends, we we have to be led by the Spirit. 
We have to be full of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, and led by the Spirit to live this life of faithful loyalty and fidelity and allegiance to Jesus. You need the Spirit in order to do it. He was led by the Spirit, and he happened to find himself in the moment of of, of being in a wilderness. Friends, I have experienced many, many times of what I would consider, quote-unquote, wilderness moments in my 35-plus years of following Jesus. Some of you are like, 35? You don't look a day over 25. Thank you so much. Bless your heart. And if that's not what you were thinking, repent right now. In all of my years of following Jesus, I've just got to be honest that, that there are times where I knew, I knew, I was walking in step with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, but it seemed dry everywhere. Where's the, where's the refreshness? Where's the, where's the hope? Where's the joy? Where's the life? Where's the, where's the good things? God, it feels like desert. All I'm seeing is rock and tumbleweed and wondering where you are, and I haven't heard your voice like I used to hear it, and everything around me feels incredibly dry, but I know that I know that I know I was walking in obedience to what you were leading me to do. Where, oh, where, oh, Lord, are you? I remember being in seasons where discouragement and defeat were the best way I knew how to describe what I was experiencing in my life. The best way I could describe what I was experiencing was like, I feel defeated. I feel deflated. I feel disconnected. I feel disillusioned in my life. I don't know how many other D words I can come up with, but they might keep flowing. But it was the best way I knew how to describe what was going on in my life. All the while, in those seasons of feeling discouraged, of feeling deflated, of feeling like you don't have victory, of feeling like everything is at odds against you, you feel a little bit forsaken, you you feel like you've grieved for so long, you didn't think you could cry anymore, you feel like you've asked the questions that you could ask, but you couldn't ask any more questions, and, and you were wondering, God, I know that I was being led by you into this season, and it feels like doors are being closed, and things aren't going my way, and, and I'm not sure what's going on. Friends, rest assured, there will be wilderness seasons in your life. And the number one goal in those seasons of the enemy is to get you to disconnect from communion with Father, Son, and Spirit. Like, oh, must, I must not be doing it right. I was, I was going to church and it felt good, but I feel a little offended and I've got some pain. I'm just going to pull away instead. Oh, we've been fighting and arguing and the relationship isn't going the same way and the enemy will come in and whisper, well, you might be happier if you had a different spouse. And you want to disconnect from the things that you know you ought to be connected to. Friends, that's what the enemy is trying to do in the wilderness. He's trying to to get us to disconnect from relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. But friends, I, I need you to understand that the way of the kingdom will lead you through wilderness moments. The way of Jesus, when you walk in the way of Jesus, you will, though, pass through the wilderness, even if it's full of tests. Why? Because Jesus showed us how. And if he did it, he showed us how to do it, and we're going to follow him through it, too. The wilderness, friends, will discipline you in preparation for God's mission for you. The wilderness will humble you, but it will deepen your need. God 
The wilderness experience will purify your heart and your motives and your worship. Because it will reveal to you the idols that you've been pursuing. See, friends, Jesus didn't need to be corrected in the wilderness, but he did need to show us how to conquer in the wilderness. Jesus didn't need to be humbled. He was already humble, but he needed to display humility and a hunger for God's ways for us. There is wilderness, and when you are led by the Spirit, you will still probably experience wilderness. Keep being led and hang on. But when you're in the wilderness, you need to know what the enemy of your soul is after. Let me, let me introduce you to this enemy of your soul. In fact, in fact, the Bible uses words like devil and Satan and serpent and um, enemy and, and all of these other words. In fact, most of the words in Scripture that you see referencing the enemy are not his names. They are titles of his function. Let me contrast it with Jesus. His name is Jesus. His title is Son of God. His name is Jesus. His title is the Messiah, teacher, Lord, master, savior, king. The Bible spends less time trying to tell you the name by which we should dignify the enemy of your soul and is more interested in ensuring that you realize what his function and nature and attempt to to be is. Let me give you some some specifics. The word devil that we read here, and, and he was tempted by the devil. That word devil in the Greek is the word diabolos. D-I-A-B-O-L-O-S. Here's what it means in English. Slanderer. The word Satan. Get behind me, Satan. In the Greek is the word satanos. S-A-T-A-N-O-S. Here's what it actually means in English. Adversary. Well, why didn't they just write those words? I don't know. Because once you get from Greek, you got to get to Latin, and then from Latin you get to some other languages, and eventually you show up in English. Here's what I want you to understand. You need to know how the enemy moves in your life or you will be defeated every time you run it back against the same temptations that you'll face. See, the enemy wants to take shots at your identity. He, you have to know how he works and when he likes to work in your life. Can I just be incredibly transparent for a minute? The times where the enemy takes his greatest shots at my identity of who I am in God starts around Sunday at 3 p.m., and it lasts until Monday night when I go to sleep. Those, those are the times I am keenly aware that the slanderer and the adversary is coming for my identity. I've just been at this a long time. Why? Because I leave Sunday feeling just thankful and full of being with the family of God and seeing this great uh, thing where people are getting baptized and kids are following in love with Jesus and parents are understanding what it means to call to be a disciple. And and what we experience is such a wonderful and amazing thing. And come Sunday around 3 o'clock, it all starts. It shows up in big bags of Oreos. It shows up in just numbingly scroll. It shows up in trying to deal with the arguments. I should have said this. I said this in the foyer and I should have said this and this and it all starts rolling in my head because the enemy is trying to bring discouragement and defeat but but I'm not an idiot I know what he's up to 
And sometimes I'm standing strong, and sometimes I'm standing and my knees are still wobbling. But having done all to stand, I pray that I would keep on standing. What is it for, the, for you? Where is it that he tries to attack your identity the most? He, he, here's what you need to know about the enemy. The slanderer is an opportunist wanting to trap you by getting you to grab the right thing in the wrong way. This is what he's after. In the book, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer, he articulates in a very succinct and clear way the devil's strategy for trying to come at you. Here's what it looks like. You, you can show him the slide. Here's what the enemy's strategy is. Satan's playbook for chaos and disordered living in your life, where he's trying to get you to live disordered and in chaos and away from the abundant life that God has for you. He does this by whispering deceitful ideas that play to our disordered desires, which have been normalized in a sinful society. Deceitful ideas come from the devil, the slanderer. The adversary. Disordered desires are the flesh that you already have. And the sinful society are the things that have been normalized in the system of our world in which we live and abide. And in all those ways, he's trying to whisper some deceitful things to get you to do something in line with a desire in your heart that is already disordered and not after the way of Jesus so that you look around and be like, actually, it's not that big of a deal. Everyone's kind of living that way. And this is the enemy's attack for our life. Deceitful ideas that play to the disordered desires within us that have been normalized in the society in which we are living. He tries to get you to grab and to go after the right thing, but in the wrong way. And this was the temptation Jesus faced. Oh, you're the son of God. Demonstrate you're the son of God. Aren't you the bread of life? Just turn it into bread, big boy. Oh, oh, don't you know that you are God's son? And so since you're God's son, surely he's not going to let you die now. Just jump. Let's see what happens. Can't you call angels at any point in time at your disposal, Jesus? Oh, just, 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 here's the deal. Like, I know you're, you're coming to, to, to reign and to be king in the world and to conquer it all. I tell you what, you don't have to go through the cross and go through suffering and show people the way. Just bow down and worship me right now and we can, we can end this thing right now. You can have it all. Right thing, but in the wrong way. All of those things Jesus said, moment, <laughs> God, the cross. They were already going to be his. He just had to walk in patience and persevere, walking in obedience to doing it the ways of God. The right thing in the wrong way. The right thing is healthy relationships, but we go about it the wrong way by manipulating and trying to control other people to like us. And we try to control our image and what they think of us to develop healthy relationships, but they're not healthy relationships. The right thing is a healthy relationship. The wrong way is to manipulate and control. The right thing is to walk in forgiveness and freedom. The wrong way is to hold on to bitterness until they come begging for my forgiveness. The right thing is freedom from addiction. The wrong way is to try to do it in your own self-willpower and discovering your true self. The right thing is having fulfillment sexually. The wrong way, though, is to do it sex on your own appetite, defined by your own terms in your own way. Right thing. 
wrong way. And this is what the enemy tries to do. This is what the slanderer and the adversary wants to do. Trap you to grab the right thing, but in the wrong way. Scripture tells us that the enemy of your soul, the slanderer, wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Jesus said in John that he is the father of all lies. He opens his mouth and can't help but lie. Mark 4, 18 through 19 unpacks how the enemy works uh, for those who are hearing God's word on a regular basis. It says the seed, God's word, that fell among thorns represents those who hear God's word which is what you're all experiencing right now. You are hearing God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure for wealth, and the desire for other things. And so the fruit of the word isn't produced. 1 John 2, 15 through 16 says, Don't love this world, nor the things that the world offers you. What's the world? Things that have been normalized in our day by a sinful society, by a sinful, by a society that is living disconnected from communion with Father, Son, and Spirit. He says, don't love the world. Don't have the love of the, if you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers you a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These friends are not from the Father. They're actually from the world. Many of us are defining our life not by what the Father says, but by what you want. Friends, these are the three areas that you will be tempted again and again and again in your life to be unfaithful to God. The the enemy doesn't have new tricks. These are his trifecta. One, two, and three. Here they are. Are you ready? He wants to, to tempt you in the area of your desire. Just take it for yourself. Oh, you're hungry. You deserve it. It's your desire that has been distorted and disordered. Oh, he'll come to you in pride. Oh, the right thing in the wrong way. It's your pride. Go ahead. Prove it. Prove it. And, and many of us, listen, here's how pride has crept into our life. We feel like God owes us an explanation for something. Yeah, God, come on. If you're really real, God, you'll do X. What does he owe you? What does he owe me? And we stand in a place with pride in our heart just saying, yeah, go ahead, God, prove yourself. And he goes, I already did. God's not above, hear me, hear me, hear me. God is not above trying to woo you and get your attention. He absolutely is doing so much to get your attention. Because he wants your heart. He wants you to walk in this devotion with him. So desire, our pride, and idols. What are the things that you are worshiping that you have the greatest level of affection for? Friends, these are the three things the enemy came bringing temptation 
while in the wilderness being led and full of the Spirit, feasting on, on the, the right things. Jesus was confronted with desires. He was confronted with pride, and he had to pass the test and the temptation of the idols that he would then worship. And the same is true for you, and the same is true for me, but here's the good news. Where maybe others pre-Jesus had fallen in the garden and in other places and times, children of Israel in the wilderness themselves, Go read the story of Exodus. You are going to see that they fall into the trap of pride, desire, and, and idols again and again and again. Those categories. And you're going to find them show up in your life again and again and again. But where, God, where, where the people of God have fallen short, Jesus showed up and fulfilled. Jesus accomplished it. Friends, it, the enemy of your soul is coming for you. And you will be led by the Spirit. You will walk in communion with God. And maybe you just experienced a victory. You got baptized. You've been walking with God. Everything is feeling good in your life. And you were going strong. You might have even used the, the great phrase, I was on fire for God at one point in time. Everything was fresh and new and alive. But you found yourself in the wilderness and you didn't know what was happening. And you felt discouraged and dizzy and beat down. Friends, I'm here to tell you that when you are in the wilderness, when you are facing the temptations that the enemy throws your way, when he's trying to play to your disordered desires and he's trying to normalize it with society around you, I need you to know you can battle like Jesus battled. He used spiritual disciplines as a way and a form of spiritual warfare. Jesus experienced this great victory. Oh, everything is going good. My dad's proud of me. Oh, I'm being led by the Spirit. We're going right into the wilderness. We're going to do this. Temptation shows up, and Jesus doubles down on his pursuit of God. He doesn't put it on cruise control. I'm good now. Look, it's already been announced. They already know I'm the Son of God. When you experience victory in your life, double down on pursuing God. When you are experiencing defeat and adverse situations in your life, double down on pursuing God. One of the ways Jesus doubled down on pursuing God was he learned how to use God's word. Every temptation, everything that came his way, he filtered it through the word of God. Friends, when it comes to battling like Jesus, you have to use God's word. You have to find it in Scripture. What is God's truth in Scripture? You've got to find it. You've got to write it down so that you know what it says. Write it down on your own. Put it on a note card. Put it on your mirror. Put it on the screenshot on your computer or phone. Find the Scriptures that are truth. Where are you being tempted to give up and disconnect from God? Find it in Scripture that helps you anchor to a greater truth to keep going. Find it, write it, and then you better speak it. You're not speaking it to control God. You're speaking it to remind yourself of what God has said. You find it, you write it, you speak it, and then you continually think it again to where your normal thoughts, when the enemy throws something to you, you're not thinking like the way of the world. Now your thinking has been transformed and renewed to thinking the same way that God has been thinking already. You've got to find it. Write it, speak it, think it, find it, write it, speak it, think it. Sunday after church, find it, write it, speak it, think it. Monday night, find it, write it, speak it, think it. Wednesday on hump day, find it, write it, speak it, think it, and repeat. On Friday night, find it, write it, speak it, think it. On Saturday morning, find it, write it, speak it, think it. Find it, write it, speak it, think it. Find it in the Word. Write it down. 
speak it out loud and think it in your mind so that you can walk in the way of Jesus and battle like Jesus. Because when you, when you find it and you write it and you speak it and you think it, it doesn't matter what learning style you are. It might be kinetic, it might be audible. Maybe somebody needs to write it. Doesn't matter your learning style. It's God's word that you need to use. You gotta find out what God's word says. You gotta write it down. You gotta speak it. You gotta think it. And then you can battle like Jesus. Would you stand with me as we come to a moment of response and just table of the Lord? If you're in the room, would you go ahead and grab your communion elements? If you're at home, hopefully you've got something that represents bread and juice. And if you would, go ahead and make sure the juice is down on these new chalices and open the top layer that has the bread in it. Go ahead and do that. Get the bread out. And then flip it over. And you can open it. To have the juice. Friends, every week we come and we center ourselves. No, better yet, we remind ourselves that Jesus won the battle and his strategy to win the battle is our strategy that we need to win the battle. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. But Jesus does. Jesus does. And instead of disconnecting, double down in pursuit. And find the truth of God's word. Write it. Find it, write it, speak it, think it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Listen to these scriptures. Colossians 2, 13 and 15 says this. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, yet you were, was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he gave, forgave all our sins. All the times where you failed the temptation and now you're having an opportunity to run it back. You're running it back with a clean slate. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And we remember the price that he paid, the path that he made for us to find relationship with God. First John 3, 8, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. And he's been sinning since the very beginning. But the Son of God, Jesus, came to destroy the works of the devil. So Lord, as we stand here at your table with the bread and the juice, we remember that you destroyed and disarmed the enemy's power and gave us your spirit that lives in us and when we walk in your spirit we can overcome the temptations and the discouraging seasons of the wilderness and the things that are coming for us we can stand on your word Jesus thank you for the bread for your body let's take the bread together
And Lord, thank you for your blood that was poured out at Calvary, represented by this juice. Let's take it together. Lord, may we go from this place recognizing that the same spirit that raised you from the dead lives in us and that we, when we begin to recognize your word as our weapon, our strategy for the lies and the deceit and our desires and the sin in our society, that we can walk the way of Jesus when we know what your word says. Help us this week to find it, to write it, to speak it, and to think it. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I pray a blessing over your people. May we receive your look from heaven with great delight this week. Would you bless us and keep us? Would you make your face shine on us and be gracious towards us? Would you lift your countenance towards us and give us peace? We pray in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died demonstrating love, in the name of the Holy Spirit who abides in us, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, you're, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.